Fellas, what's up? Uh, hopefully you had a good week this week. Uh, rolling into the next week, uh, we've got some great podcast episodes coming for you guys. This one's an amazing one. Uh, it's really cool to see that we've been able to go uh, not just across the country, but uh, across the globe, really, to talk football with guys. And so that's been uh, one of the most fun things that we can say is now uh, we talk to guys in, in multiple countries, uh, you know, more than three countries now, and and hopefully we'll even be adding on that. But uh, you can go check out all the things we're doing at runthepower.com. Uh, get all access pass. You can get a, a premium, RTP premium. You can get some clothes. Uh, you can just check out our free podcast. You can uh, – Check out some of the free articles we've ri- we've written. So uh, a lot of things you guys can do there if you're itching or uh, fiending for football to start over at runthepower.com. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by GoRoute. GoRoute brings practice efficiency into the 21st century with on-field digital risk coaches. Trusted at practice by more than 350 high schools and 30-plus FBS and FCS teams, GoRoute allows coaches to instantly send out scout cards and installs the players so that they can stay up-tempo all practice without the need for binders or managing multiple huddles. Compatible with all major play-drawing systems and hand-drawn cards. Go-route teams routinely double or triple their practice reps daily. If you, have, if you value your practice time and want the best preparation, then you need to go no-scout cards with Go-route. Uh, it's really, really cool, guys. They uh, You make your scout cards. The kids wear a little wrist coach. And digitally, those come up to those kids. Uh, you click a button, on to the next place. So unbelievable how much uh, reps you can get in a short amount of time. Learn more at GoRoute.com or give them an email at sales at GoRoute.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Vices. Vices football helmets are different than other helmets on the market today. Their design reduces impact forces by yielding in a collision similar to a car bumper. Concept so unique that the helmet was named one of Time Magazine's top 25 inventions of 2017. 01 is the top performing helmet for the third year in a row in the NFL NFL Player Association testing, and the 01 is the highest rated five star helmet under five pounds in the Virginia Tech star helmet ratings. For younger athletes, Vices recently launched the 01 Youth, the highest rated youth football helmet ever tested by Virginia Tech. The Zero One Youth was specifically designed for the speed and impact seen at the youth level. Protect your athletes with the top performing helmets in the game. For more information on Vice's technology or to request team pricing or financing options, visit vices.com on the web. Vices, protect the athlete, elevate the game. Last but definitely not least, this episode is also brought to you by Guardian Caps. Both of our programs at Broken Arrow and then with Walls at Ankeny uh, invested in Guardian Caps this year, and they are definitely helping out our guys, we feel. Uh, they are soft-shell helmet covers that reduce impact during practice, and they're used by over 100 colleges and 1,000 high schools. Uh, they also protect our helmets uh, and keep them looking nice so us as coaches aren't in there working on them before every game day. Uh, they're keeping them looking nice, uh, which is Obviously a, a big deal to the kids uh, that their helmets look nice going into games. Texas, Clemson, Oklahoma are just a few of the colleges using them. Check out our show notes to see what Coach Lincoln Riley thinks about them at OU and to get some pricing. Uh, and they are actually really, really very affordable. So uh, you guys check that out in our show notes or just go over to guardiancaps.com. 
On this episode of RTP, I'm going to definitely butcher Coach's name, but we have Benoit Duran. Coach D uh, talks about his unique football journey from the aerospace industry, how he loves Coach Malzahn's offense and gap schemes, and how he protects his gap schemes with plays like trap. You can follow Coach on Twitter at Coach underscore Benoit, which is B-E-N-O-I-T. Hope you guys enjoy. My background in uh, football, I uh, played football, uh, started playing football in the 80s here in uh, Montreal at uh, Collège Notre Dame, Notre Dame High School, under uh, the late and legendary coach uh, Jacques Gauthier. Uh, coach Gauthier was instrumental in development of uh, football in the province of Quebec. In fact, uh, Division I uh, football regular season championship trophy is named after him here for high school football in Montreal. And then uh, I played three years in what we call CJEP here. And we can get into detail what CJEP actually is. And then after that, I played uh, five years at the University of Waterloo in Ontario, where I, uh, I graduated with a degree in mechanical engineering with a specialty in uh, aerodynamics and uh, thermodynamics. Jeez. So, uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, have a little bit of a different background than most uh, football coaches. No doubt. Yeah. In fact, uh, a couple of years ago, I was spending time with the Montreal Alouettes here as a as a guest coach during their training camp, and their then head coach referred to me as a true rocket scientist who happens to do football. So, uh, <laughs> that's always an interesting little sidebar. Uh, and then after that, I spent some time in business school. And while I was doing that, I started coaching some, uh, I started coaching, uh, I was running a scout team for my university team because I got, as played linebacker, I prepared for these teams for five years in a row. So that's how, kind of how I got into coaching. However, after that, I started my career in uh, working in aerospace and I got away from coaching for a while. And I always had the itch to get back in, but it, uh, the mood never struck and the timing was never right until one day a good friend of mine who was now a daughter of our oldest, uh, godfather of our oldest daughter, gave me a call and he knew how to get me. He gave me the good old, hey, uh, I need some help here. We're low in coaches. Uh, can you come give me a hand? And that was 2001. I've been coaching ever since. <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, so I coached, uh, I've coached a mix. I spent some time coaching university football at uh, McGill University here in Montreal. I coached again at that uh, CJEP level. And, uh, but for the, the better part of the last decade, I've been coaching high school age uh, kids. And now I'm offensive coordinator and quarterback coach for the St. Lazar Stallions, which is uh, a club football team here uh, outside of Montreal. There's quite a few uh, club football teams in the Montreal area and uh, across the country, in fact, in Canada, not just uh, high school football. So is that, is it something that is, as is fairly popular in Canada? Has that grown since, since when you were playing or um, is it more of a, is it a recent, you know, kind of surge or has it always been uh, a fairly common thing with football? Um, well, football itself here uh, in the province of Quebec has really, um, 
grown over the last, uh, uh, I'm going to say, 20 years or so. Mm. Uh, back when I was playing in high school, as you know, most of Quebec is French-speaking. I did not it, know that. Yeah, most of, <laughs> most of Canada is uh, 80% uh, English-speaking, and, and uh, the province of Quebec is, uh, uh, is the other way. Well, most of Canada is 80% uh, English speaking with 20% French and the province of Quebec here where I'm sitting tonight is the other way around. It's mostly uh, French speaking with a 20% English minority. So uh, mm. it makes for interesting dynamics and politics across the country, but uh, which I will not get into this evening. <laughs> there has been uh, tremendous growth here, uh, gentlemen, in uh, football here in the last 20 years or so. It started with a return of the Montreal Alouettes. They, they had uh, Alouettes in the Canadian Football League mm -hmm. uh, left in the 80s and uh, mid to late 90s came back and uh, they got really good really quickly. And at the same time, some uh, French Canadian universities started playing football and it started a whole wave of interest in, um, in football, in, uh, especially here in, the, in uh, the province of Quebec. Coach, you, uh, you got me interested now. You, you said you have a, a background in, you know, thermodynamics and aerospace. And uh, a couple of guys that I know have a, a little bit of a background in that. Um, they, they coach at the University of Nebraska. I know uh, Mario, Mario Verduzco there, the, the quarterback coach, is heavy into a lot of the, the dynamics of throwing a football and, you know, some of the, you know, air pressure. I mean, all the different things he talks about, you know, the way it throws. So, no, you're a quarterback coach. Is, are you able to kind of use some of that knowledge to help some of your guys? Hey, this is why we want a ball to spiral. This is why we want the ball to, to be able to do this. I always find that uh, interesting because, you know, a lot of those guys usually have a, a pretty good way of, of maybe breaking things down and, and teaching kids how to throw the football. Yeah, we uh, always get a kick out of this, uh, of talking about conservation of momentum, talking about the quarterbacks, about the importance of, throwing as you move especially when you're throwing in movement throwing downhill towards your target and again to the whole uh, conservation of movement uh conservation of momentum i should say and uh, that always gets uh, a lot of white eyes and uh, but my favorite the all time is I, and i stole that from bill walsh always threw the post to the right and the go route to the left and that's mm -hmm. because of the coriolis acceleration which is uh, a cross product of vectors of forces applied in this spinning world we live on that uh, when you throw in a right-handed quarterback throws a ball, the ball will always tend to fade from right to left. So when you throw a go route, you usually want to throw that left because the ball is going to travel from the receiver towards the sideline, making it easy to throw a go route. And the same thing with throw a post to the, to the right side of the field, where being, again, a right-handed quarterback, the ball is going to follow the receiver down. So uh, I always get a lot of bizarre looks when I bring this up during uh, – football meetings that this is why we throw a go to the left and a post to the right coach we did the the exact same thing when I was coaching with our with our QB you know it, it was the same same type deal I mean we, he could throw it both ways but it's like you said when when you watch a kid enough and you really kind of chart practice and you're charting where throws go I knew that he was going to be more accurate when he did throw that post route like you said to the right side and same thing with the kind of that inside little corner post or we call it a cop route he could really drill that thing when he was throwing it to his right side. And it said, when you're throwing it to the left, a little bit more difficult for him. You'd find that ball would kind of work behind him. But then when you're throwing that go route or throwing that corner route, again, was going to be more accurate kind of throwing that back to the left side. So it's interesting that you say that. It was kind of something, I mean, 
I probably didn't maybe know the science about it, but I could visualize and I could see those kind of targets. And I made sure, you know, again, I could call it both ways, but made sure that when we were going to take the shot and we wanted to be able to hit that, that I had it in the certain spot on the field. And I knew we were going to be throwing that one to the right most of the time. Yeah. It's a uh, good old uh, Coriolis acceleration uh, cross product. That's, uh, <laughs> that's the physics behind it. Of course. And everyone knows that. I heard something about a, a vector, Victor. That's all I heard. <laughs> I heard vector. All I thought was vector, Victor. Um, but <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, uh, coach, so, Club teams, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned it's, it's a club football team. It, yeah. Is that the majority of the sports in, in uh, Canadian high school? Are they club sports or are, are uh, most of them or some of them uh, actually uh, school-sponsored uh, sports? Actually, uh, most, uh, most uh, especially, well, I'll stick to football, I'll stick to what I know, but most football across the country is uh, school-based, actually. Oh, okay. Um, there's some areas they have um, they have club teams where I am, and there's different. Like um, I was in Alberta a couple of weeks ago, and uh, watching my nephew play. And there they have club teams in the spring, and then in the fall they go play for their high schools. And some other areas, like where we are in Montreal, there's uh, there's there are some schools, but there are also club teams that play uh, during the, the fall season as well. So it varies from different part of the different part of the country, basically. How does that work then with the club? I mean, is that something where you guys are, are kind of have to actively maybe you know seek out kids or recruit kids for the program, or is that something where you know kids kind of tend to just show up on your doorstep? Kids are interested in it. You know, what's kind of the process for getting athletes to kind of come out for your guys's club? Uh, typically, it's. Uh, the club teams are usually more in the areas where there are not school teams. There's exceptions, of course, to this, but typically uh, the club teams are carved out by geography area. And uh, so the, the club teams are, there's, there's of course friction from time to time when a really good athlete is, can either play school or club. So you, you kind of, you're in the, you're in, stuck in the middle sometimes or for some players are, but for the most part, it's, uh, it's usually it's both uh, kids either play in their area where there's club and there's no school. They're in a school. There's no club. It's uh, again. There's some overlap, but for the most part, it's uh, very much regionalized that way. So I also coach uh, the high school high school team for uh, uh, the last four years, and there was just all the kids in that particular area went to that school. And in this uh, club team I coach now, it's it's uh, a much bigger area, but it's kind of the same thing. There's no real school and real in our in, a, in the backyard of this club team I coach for. When you get to uh, you know coach at a club team, is that something that uh, you guys get to have a, a weight program with those guys and and a workout you know facility or or, or program, or is when it's club, it's kind of like hey, you guys need to. Uh, work out on your own and, and show up ready to practice when you get here? Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> that is the way with the club team. Because the, uh, the, uh, we, we don't have uh, dedicated facilities per se. Uh, a lot of our guys work out on their own in different facilities, but it's not the same as in a school where you, you have them in class all day and you can <laughs> push them in a weight room after class. It's a little bit uh, different dynamic. 
Coach, being in, you know, Canada and obviously, you know, hockey's, you know, kind of kind of king and it doesn't really matter what area I think you're in in Canada. Canada um, do you kind of see that, that kids are maybe, um, you know, drawn to football because it's, it's a little bit different season and then at the same time there's still that physical hitting aspect, you know, guys are still wearing pads. You know, they, they're, they're kind of used to, to being able to do that. Do you see some of the carryover there from kids, and maybe that's kind of why the, the sport has grown a little bit? Um, it's For the most part, you, you see a different kind of kid at football than you see at hockey. Uh, because uh, typically, you know, at hockey, if you're any good, by the time you're 14 years old, you're playing on some – turbo club team and you're getting scouted and recruited and so on and so forth. But because the wave at football is a little bit later, uh, because you grow up, you get bigger later, uh, later in life, if you would. Uh, by the time, yeah, there's some kids that we coach that also play hockey. And, uh, but if the really, uh, the really, really top hockey players, by the time they hit high school, they hit age to play hockey, to play high school football, they're already at some turbo 12 months a year, super hockey uh, uh, camp and facilities and so on and so forth. So it's, uh, it's a different kind of kid that I've noticed over the years that there, there's some overlap, but the super turbo good football players or the super top hockey players are, you're looking at two different uh, type of kids altogether. Oh, that's kind of interesting. We, uh, I've, you know, wouldn't even think to think that the, the really good, great hockey players would, would uh you know go on but obviously it's it's a lot bigger deal there we've got a, a hockey team it's a club team in broken arrow and we've only had one football player that played on the club team but he was a he played center for us and he's a really good center and uh played goalie for the hockey team but uh that's about all that i know about hockey so uh quite a bit different obviously in canada than than the southern united states oh absolutely in fact sadly enough at the, at the school i was at the last four years the school started a, uh, uh, we had some success with football. There's a new school that uh, when I joined was the third season, I think they were playing football. And uh, so sadly enough, the school started a uh, uh, high school hockey program and it was in rural Quebec, right on the, right on the corner of New York State, uh, Ontario and the province of Quebec. And uh, as, soon as, we, as soon as the school started a hockey program, we lost all the athletes in football. They all went to play hockey. <laughs> so, uh. Dang. Hockey, hockey is big up here. It, it always will be. It's our sport. Well, Coach, before we got started, you, you kind of mentioned that, uh, you know, you guys run a lot of uh, power counter uh, gap scheme teams. Uh, you even said, like, you know, you, you see a lot of inside zone, outside zone, and you guys are, are one of the uh, – sounds like few in your area that, that are into gap schemes. Uh, and, and, and you kind of want to talk about that. What are some of the reasons that uh, you guys – got into running, uh, you know, gap scheme and was it with the idea of, Hey, let's, let's try to be different than what everyone else is doing. Or uh, was it just something that you're like, Hey, I like this, this works. Let's go with this. Uh, all of the above. <laughs> <laughs> in the, in, uh, in the, the late eighties, uh, one of my, uh, my late uh, CJEP coach, he actually went down to Delaware and learned the Delaware wing T and came back and our school started to run it. And then uh, our high school started to run it and then they started winning. And next thing you know, uh, as always, whatever works, people start copying. 
And uh, so for a while here in the province of Quebec, everybody ran the wing tee. It was, it was wing, <laughs> wing central. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, so when I got into coaching, I caught the tail end of this and, and I was, I was, uh, I could see what it was working and I could see why it was popular. But my experience was that uh, when we dealt with a wing tee, you're, a lot of your blocking schemes are dependent on the fronts you're seeing. And you guys being O-line coaches know better than I do that, you prepare a week for a front and all of a sudden one guy moves four inches and now all the O-line are looking at each other. They don't know who to block it. <laughs> so, so, so from there we, we got into more into uh, running like ISO type uh, man schemes mm-hmm. that worked okay. But until we realized that that worked fine when we played lesser or equal opponents, but once we <laughs> right. had a team that had better D linemen, we tried to man block him and ISO block him. Well, that did not end well. So, <laughs> yeah, so, that's right. Yeah. So at that same time, I got into watching Auburn, and uh, and our hero Gus Malzahn, I always like to refer to, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, in 2010. Um, in fact, since then, I've been to Auburn not once but twice at their coaching clinic in the spring, which I highly recommend. As a, I went there uh, a month ago, and it was great. Awesome. And, uh, so. So I'm watching Auburn, and I'm like, look at it. Look at these guys. They have, like, the best players, football players in the world. And all they run, and I'm talking early Auburn, uh, Gus Malls on OC Auburn, all they ran back then was uh, power and counter with, with a guard and a fullback. And, I'm, and I got to thinking to myself going, if these guys run, <laughs> if they run power and counter, and they have the best players in the world, why don't we look at this ourselves? So, and at that same time, the, um, uh, every, the big, you know, uh, the big move towards inside zone, outside zone and zone read and rich rod was happening. So, and then, uh, everyone got into inside zone and outside zone. And so we dabbled in that for a while, but to run zone has been my experience anyway, that you need, Hey, you need, uh, you need kids that, uh, I need a lot of time because it takes a lot of time to teach all the combos and the calls and, and mm-hmm. who's got who and so on. You need kids that have a lot of upper body strength because it's, you know, four hands on a D lineman, four eyes on a linebacker. And you also need kids that, uh, that understand football because it's not natural to say, all right, you two guys are going to step to your right. You're going to double up on this guy. And if the linebacker goes over here, if he goes over there. So as this is all happening, we, uh, we're, so here we are coaching with, uh, all the, my fellow coaches were coaching. We don't have a lot of time to get ready. We don't have, we don't have kids that have never seen a weight room. And we had kids that, most kids that never played football. So we try to dabble in zone, as you can imagine, that it did not end well. <laughs> so, this is, so this is how, out of necessity, I'm like, maybe Coach Malzahn's onto something. So we got together and we kind of said, all right, let's come up with a bunch of basic rules that will, that no matter what the defense does, no matter how they line up, stamp or stunt or blitz, we'll uh, we'll have a we'll have an answer for it. And we discovered by trials and error that by running uh, power and counter, you can you can have these basic rules that no matter what the defense gives you, you have an answer for it. So um, so for instance, if you're play side, well, it's gap or linebacker. There's someone in the inside gap. Well, you got them. If you don't, well. Keep going till the backside linebacker. There's no one in there, but someone blitzes. Well, the gap fills up. You got it. So we 
you say gap or linebacker a thousand times for practice. <laughs> and uh, so, um, so that's how we, so again, from uh, our hero, Gus Miles on, we got into the whole, uh, when power and counter as our base offense. And now as time has moved on, uh, still the University of Montreal and the University Laval in Quebec City, uh, two of the powerhouses here, Canadian University Football, basically all they run is inside and outside zone. So that trickles down to their earlier levels. And most people we play run some kind of inside zone, outside zone. So one day when they get down block and we see guards pulling, we're so different that this has served us well over the years because we're kind of the only game in town that is so committed to running power and counter here in Montreal. And it's just such a, I mean, it's such a great thing for both those reasons. Uh, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, and, and like the zone guys, I'm sure they've got their answers just as well. And if that's all they run, like you said, you got the time to do it and, and you commit to it. They've got some of those same answers, but, uh, it is so easy with gap, you know, and, and guys can come off the ball a little bit harder. Uh, I think it'll play a little lower. And, and uh, like you said, Hey, I've got gap to linebacker. So in my gap, I'm gonna work the backside linebacker. And, and, uh, now linebackers are trying to get used to seeing a pulling guard and how do I fit that? Now a coach is trying to teach that. And then, like you said, they're teaching it in one week and then not going to use it again because they're going to see a bunch of zone teams. And so, um, it, it really does. It's a week for that team to prepare for you because they haven't been preparing all, all year for it. Yeah, it's, uh, again, it's, uh, it's, I don't know if it's for everybody, but in our, uh, in our, uh, in our experience here, it has served us really well. It has served us really well because it's something that uh, back then we were coaching younger kids, like 12, 13-year-olds, and not something we could, we could get, get to explain to a 12, 13-year-old very quickly. And now we've graduated to 16, 17-year-olds, which are high school age kids, and now it's, uh, it's, it's serving us really well. But it, and it's different, like you said. It's, uh, it's very different from what everybody sees around, uh, around town here in Montreal. Coach, talk a little bit about, you know, have, having to kind of, you know, starting with your younger guys and being able to, to kind of build up in running the, the gap scheme. How has that allowed you guys to maybe, you know, kind of evolve? Or how much faster are kids picking that stuff up now that they've been in that system for three or four years? Well, keep in mind that uh, – that uh, again the whole <laughs> canada versus uh, uh southern united states oklahoma football is big here but it's nowhere beer of course as it is in the in the u.s so we don't have the kids all year so they uh, you know they uh you know kids like to ski shoot i like to ski i'm a big skier and uh they play some winter sports and uh hockey being one of them and so on and so forth so um uh, having uh so having these a simple scheme based on simple rules like this, then that allows you to get very good at something very quickly and also uh, carry it over time. I was at a coaching clinic a few years ago at uh, the University of Montreal. It was they had a coach from New York Giants actually there, and he was saying uh, always rules, always win. And here he is in the NFL coaching the very top one tenth of a percent of football players in the world. And he was saying, if you have rules, make sure they're black and white. Make sure there's no gray. So that when they do something, it's black and white. I go here, I do that. And uh, so that's what I think uh, our power schemes allowed us to do is, uh, is to have these very clear black and white rules that 
allow us to really, really do it well and do it fast. And of course, as once kids have done it for a couple of years, then uh, then you start to refine going, okay, well, now we're going to linger a little bit longer on that double team or work on a better angle to get that backside linebacker and so on. But the, uh, the idea is something that can be implemented quickly to get started. And then as, as you, as you grow with uh, players and you've had them for a while, now you can get into the finer points of uh, taking it from uh, something that works really well to something that works just about every time. Coach, what are you teaching your guards on their, on their pulls? Are you a skip pull or are you open pull with those guards? Uh, <laughs> great question. It sounds like, it's almost like I'm on a, some, a podcast dedicated to running the power. Or something. <laughs> 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 that was one of our, it's great you asked that because that was one of our, uh, of our uh, learning issues where we would have guards, but they would be like, we always get kids to tell, you tell our guards, you don't really have to run behind our quarterback when you pull. And <laughs> <laughs> because we're, we're open pulling everything. And a lot of the kids were getting a lot of, like a lot of depth and not, and then the running back would beat them to the hole. So um, got together with a, a local well-established O-line coach in this area. We kind of walked into this program and said, well, it's easy. You got to, because you got to skip ball. If you skip ball, the guys will stay square. They'll be nice and close to the line of scrimmage and they can actually find that linebacker a heck of a lot easier if they turn their shoulders. So on power, we uh, we definitely gone the skip pull uh, for all of our guard pulls, and then when we run counter, then we go open pull because you want to go downhill. So we get that great angle and accelerate mm -hmm. like a, like crazy and just be able to kick out that end and uh, or log him if he crashes it down. But for the most part, in our league ends are are still trying to box out. So we tell our guards, man, when we give you a uh, run counter, we give you an open pull. It's just one big run downhill until you <laughs> you're buried at defensive end at the end of it. Yeah, skip pulls made a lot of difference for us. I know, you know, giving those guys a chance to to keep those shoulders square and, and give them a little bit of depth so they have, you know, kind of some peripheral vision. They don't have to have their head turned, you know, when they open pull and trying to find that guy. Just, just so much easier for them to, to track. And then, you know, Coach Harper, I thought, did such a great job of, of teaching those guys to really insert downhill with velocity, you know, act like you're a fullback and, and, you yeah. know, near, near shoulder, near foot and, and running through that inside half. I mean, it, it took our power, I think, to, to kind of that next level and, and really helped clear things up, especially for those tailbacks too. Yeah. Well, we, uh, it's funny to say these fullbacks because we all know guards are closet fullbacks to begin with. That's right. So whenever you want to, you want to convince a player that maybe you're not quick fast enough to play fullback, but hey, uh, let me show you something. This is how we do things, and you can pull and lead and to have a ten-yard run at someone. And all of a sudden, the physical kids—they all love to play guard. The other place that I've had a lot of success finding very good guards, believe it or not, is uh, and our defensive coaches hate me for it. Is every spring I'm about to do the same. I go troll around during uh, lull in the action. I go around linebacker drills. Whenever I find that guy that's not quite athletic enough or fast enough to play linebacker, I give him a good old, hey, why don't we put a white jersey on you? I'm sure how to play guard. And, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and oddly enough, the best guards we've ever had as far as pulling and uh, pulling and, and countering and so on were, were all ex-linebackers because my kid is not quite big enough to, to run the big field here we have in Canada. 
you take somebody like this, you put him at guard, and uh, having pulled around all of a sudden, his lack of speed is uh, for guard. He's got more than enough speed. And uh, so we're always trolling for slow linebackers or slow fullbacks and make <laughs> guards out of them because they make the best pullers. They really do. Coach, I never, guess I never really even thought about this, but uh, now it kind of would make sense. Uh, does your, is your club and, and high school teams, are those the same as the Canadian, the CFL, uh, all of those rules? They're all, do they all kind of – maybe not all, but the most of them trickle down to your high school uh, and club-level schools, uh, football teams? Yeah, absolutely. I've, um, I've had this discussion several times with, uh, with – I work a lot with people in the U.S., and the Canadian game is, is very similar to the U.S. game, but it's very different because the field is uh, – well, uh, it's three-down football as opposed to four-down. The field is 65 yards wide and 150 yards long, including the end zones. So it's a big, big field. Uh, in fact, I did some rough math today. Uh, the Canadian field is 52% larger than the U.S. field. Jeez. Dang. So, uh, yeah, our field is 65 yards wide and 110 yards long, and the end zones are 20 yards deep. So that's why if you're a linebacker in Canadian football, you can't run, you can't play, because our uh, – I mean, a CFL linebackers are – 205, 215s, Mac, because if you can't run, you can't play linebacker during the football league. So, uh, so in minor football, we play the same. We play 12 aside also, uh, not 10, 11 aside. It's another uh, slight difference. So basically, in 20 personnel, you have four receivers, not three. So that makes it a little more dangerous on the yeah, defense. <laughs> yeah, we play 12 aside. Um, and uh, there's also the unlimited uh, motions rules here in Canada where basically everyone can be moving. Everyone that's off the line of scrimmage can be moving at the, the snap of the ball. Even the receivers on the line of scrimmage, as long as you move laterally, hmm. they, uh, you're, uh, as long as you stay in the line of scrimmage, you're, uh, you can move at the snap of the ball, which makes, um, especially uh, when you watch the CFL teams, the, the ones that are really well coached, you can see they have a lot of movement, a lot of receiver movement. Makes it hard to play defense. Well, maybe that's why there's only three downs. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. Well, and then is is there a way that because we had my buddy that I went to college with, he's a punter for I want to say Ottawa. Um, but is there a way? It's been a while since we talked to him. Is is there a way to punt and uh, score points somehow? Yeah, the uh, Canadian football has a lot of. Uh, that's the best word to describe it. Lingering rules from rugby, if you will, because we know our great game is, was uh, what came from the sport of rugby. Mm -hmm. So um, in uh, Canadian football, if you punt or kick the ball through the end zone, you get a single point for it. We call it a rouge. That's right. French word for red. So uh, you see, it doesn't happen very often, but you see a game that's tied, the team that has the ball and the opponent's like 20-yard line, they line up to punt. They try to punt that thing right through the end zone. You see them. And, uh, and same thing on uh, field goals. If you line up – because the goal post here in Canada is on the goal line. It's not behind the end zone. So the uh, – because the end zone is 20 yards deep. So if you miss a field goal and the ball rolls through the back of the end zone, you get a single point out of it too. Hmm. Yeah. And there are some other rules around the kicking game that are a little uh, – that are leftovers, if you would, uh, distant cousins from rugby rules. For instance, uh, a part that makes uh, – I personally, I find, I find makes football very exciting here in Canada is that uh, there's no such thing as a fair catch. So when the ball is in the air, the, uh, 
the uh, the covering team on a on all, on all punts has, has to give the returner a five yard halo to catch the ball, otherwise a 15 yard penalty. So all kicks are returned, which makes for and then you couple that with our enormous 65 yard wide field, it makes the makes the the kicking game very exciting because uh, it's uh, how often you watch an NFL or a college game and every kickoff lands in the stands, let alone <laughs> fly mm-hmm. through. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, here, if you can do that, you got a crazy leg because uh, most uh, kickoffs and punts in Canada are returned, which makes for a very exciting game. And keep in mind too that with a three-down football, the uh, the the kicking game, you, you punt, uh, you you get an awful lot more kicking in a Canadian game than you do in the U.S. game. So the um, so the punt game is is it becomes a big part of your of uh, your team strategy because of the uh, the you get you got to do it so every, so more often than uh, you do in u.s football if you will i had a question for you coach and i'd already forgot dang it harper well yeah. i got a good one i got a good one for you coach and it's not about football but i want to know what you call the the cool little symbol above the eye in your name <laughs> oh uh what, what is that what is that called uh it's uh it's uh in french it's called uh naxon circonflex so. oh no <laughs> <laughs> is that is that just it makes does that make the eye sound different no absolutely not i that's just how you write my name <laughs> oh i got you <laughs> i got you i like uh, that any any way to do that that's awesome no, that's that's uh <laughs> you got it down. It makes yeah. you look uh, a lot. I'm sure you're you're already uh, aerospace. So I'm sure you're already really smart, but makes you look <laughs> even smarter, Coach. Hey, whatever it takes, <laughs> Coach. I remember. I remember my question. It was when you were talking about the goal. The goal post being on the goal line. So I mean, yeah. we all know you're just gonna you know smash power counter in for the touchdown, right? But let's yeah. say let's say you're on the five or the seven yard line. And it's a third down. Do you have any plays you use for for scoring purposes where you're kind of rubbing off the goalpost, or is that always? Always. Always. Most uh, most teams have uh, the the real football fields have a, a single post that's a yard or two in the end zone, and with the, or the curvature, so the the uh, the actual uh, goalpost bars are on top of the goal line. But, uh, oh, my God, you see this all the time, especially in the CFL. <laughs> but uh, we may or may not have dabbled in this over the years where, uh, <laughs> where you see teams that, that run uh, pick routes and basically use the goalpost as a, as a, pick, as a, route, as a picker. And, uh, and the other thing that we may or may not have done over the years is uh, very often we play on soccer fields. So there's actually two goalposts because the goalpost is literally on the goal line. So if we line up on a three, two or three yard line, we run power right at that goalpost because invariably some defensive players got to run into it. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, so, some scraping linebacker just hammers the post, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, like, so we may, I'm not neither denying or confirming, but. <laughs> <laughs> but that one, that one saved somewhere in film uh, yeah. under the best play ever. 
Yeah, it may have been done that uh, when we're <laughs> close to the goal line, we always direct our power towards right towards the goalpost for that very purpose. One extra blocker. <laughs> well, I, think, and it, I mean, it would make sense too, because I mean, you, you obviously you guys have the the deeper end zones too. So I mean, it's not you know teams have to think about you know in America, it's it's easy because for the defense, I should say, you know, they can play cover zero, and the end zone's only ten yards. Well, if a team plays cover zero and you run a rub route. You know, you've got 20 yards to be able to throw that thing up over the top of that goalpost after the guy's been rubbed on it. So I think it makes a lot of sense. You see that uh, we're a little bit old school when we go close to the goal line, we double tights, so actually go three running backs, get old Maryland eye there. But uh, you see that in the university and uh, pro level where they, they'll remain in five receiver sets close to the goal line, but invariably there's some kind of crossing route that involves a goalpost near the. Uh, near a goal line, absolutely, absolutely. We've seen even people running uh, uh, like a stick route type, and uh, the stick guy basically plants himself right next to the goalpost. So somehow, 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 some way, someone's going to get in trouble <laughs> because there's this big, massive goalpost in the middle of the middle of the play. All I can think about is with all twelve of those guys on the goal line, you could go what like double tight, double wing, and go. Uh, Quarterback, tailback, fullback. There's just so many gaps. I think it'd be impossible to stop. Yeah, there's uh, there's a, a lot of ways, a lot of ways to do it. We like to keep a receiver on the field, a wide receiver on the field for, because uh, you know it's our short yardage set, which we can use anywhere on the field. And we got a couple of because uh, now if you if you bring everybody in the box, well the defense brings everybody in the box, so you got you got a pure one on one, which we always like to get, with an awful lot of field to work with. So uh, usually leave our best receiver out on the field. And if we see a corner that is not, uh, doesn't match up real well, we'll play action something, roll out something to get to, to, you know, to hit a double move or something like that. Is that, something, is that something you've ever given your quarterback the freedom uh, to where it may be in the middle of the field, it's like, hey, we're going to run whatever. We're going to run power. Uh, but if the, if the receiver that we got, which we like, if he's singled up, you know, flash sign out there, uh, throw it up to him, or has it always been a, a called thing for, for you guys? Uh, we're evolving to that. And uh, keep in mind something else I, I, I shamelessly stole from uh, Gus Miles on is going tempo and no huddle. Hmm. So very often we check our place on the sideline. We have a dummy count. If we don't get enough sides. Everyone look, the, the look at the bench type offense. We run a lot. Of, we do a lot of that. Right. And or we'll give the we'll give the we'll give the formation. Everybody lines up. And the kids get impatient. They're looking at us, and now if we see something we like, then we just call it from the bench. But as uh, something we're going to start working on this year is uh, that I I've picked up from different places, and you see it all the time now, where you have a run play called, but in the backside you have a receiver running a route and a quarterback as the option if he sees. If he sees what he what you wanted to see in the shape of one on one or the corner is playing way off and that sort of thing, where the receiver will have the freedom to call a route, to run a route and or to call his own route, look at a quarterback, tell the quarterback what he's running, and then uh, based on getting ISO coverage and so on. So that's something we're migrating towards. You see a you see a lot of uh, especially when you're watching college football. You see a lot of that now where everyone's Oklahoma is, is doing that day in, day out, where the whole team's running a play and then you just see the quarterback throwing the ball to a single receiver. That's mm -hmm. because they, they, saw, they saw something they like 
it kind of helps when you have Kyler Murray throwing it, but outstanding <laughs> back. Uh, Kyler, Moore, Kyler Murray and four uh, draft picks in front of you and a fifth one that will be a draft pick in a couple of years. Yeah, well, like uh, like my whole college coach, coach there, Chuck McMahon, he coached uh, Canadian Football League for a long time after uh, after uh, he was coaching me in college. He used to say, good players make good coaches, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. But, yes, to, but to answer your question is it's something we've called from the bench, but – um, guess I, I should have a very smart quarterback this year, so I will going to give him some uh, some liberties like this. As to hey, if you see something like this, let the run play go, but just just hit it. If it's if it's a gimme, take it. If it's a, yeah, if it's a gift, take it. Coach, when you're running the the gap schemes, you know what are some things that you're also doing as the offensive coordinator, QB coach, to to kind of protect those plays. I'm I'm always interested to hear, you know, what are some of your go tos for you know teams that you know say say they're they're really they're really getting underneath and, and wrong arming it you know or did you have a, a sweet play or something you run into the outside or do you have some play actions you run off that or maybe some nakeds to move your athletic QB around you know what are some things you do to kind of protect those plays? Well the, the one thing and, and that's from uh, being surrounded by these damn uh, <laughs> wing T coaches all my life is uh, but there's a lot of merit to sequence. To you know, you run a, you run a, you run power with a fake reverse. Then you run power, you give it to the reverse. Then you f run power, you fake the reverse, and you throw a, throw a easy fullback and a flat type thing. And next thing you know, you're on power, you fake the reverse, <laughs> and then you you throw a, a throwback. So it's kind of it's a big uh, it's a big Lego set that builds onto itself. So that's one when. Um, that's something once teams start to, you know, get uh, get a flavor of what we're trying to do, then uh, like, okay, well, now let's let's move on to the next the next progression, and let's give them that look. And once that look gets stale a little bit, let's give them the look that looks like that, but that's something else. And um, so that's that's a big part of it. I think it's a lot of sequence of a lot of things that look the same, but they're really really the same on the offense. Just it it. it but it is different, but it looks the same type thing. And the other bit we've seen is that we were playing a team that had very, very good uh, defensive tackles. And after a while, that three technique figured out he was getting down blocked at most of the plays. So he was playing a three technique, but his eyes were literally looking at our tackle every play. And then, um, so after we spotted that on film, the following year, we sprung in, go back again to <laughs> wing T, we sprung an inside trap on that. Uh, that nice. On that same uh, tackle, that same defensive tackle, same three tech, and uh, so let me tell you, he was looking outside at our tackle. We put put a hand on him and kept going, and all of a sudden the backside guard came and punched him out. So that was a, a nice, a nice little surprise. So I find that for teams that um, get used to the getting, especially defensive tackles getting down blocked a lot, find inside traps a nice little complement to the. Uh, to uh, to keep these defensive, especially three tech three technique uh, defensive tackles honest. No, I I completely agree with you. I think it's such a good uh, not even just to to slow them down for that play or, or to get a little bit of a uh, a nice little dig at them that play, but slows them down from playing double teams so hard. You know they're going to sell out to commit to sitting down a double team. Now you trap them one time. Now they're thinking maybe next time you cut them on the backside of of whatever. Now they're really thinking and 
and now it softens them up for uh, some of your double teams when you are running power at them. Sure. And also, we've yet to dabble in this, but I've seen, uh, I've seen teams run it where they run inside trap, but they, they will influence block the, the three technique where the guard is going to kick back like he's pass blocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Then uh, the, tackle, the tackle to his side is going to pop up to the mic, and after, after a couple of kick steps, you just kick out the defensive end, so influence block. So that if you can hit that inside trap a few times, and then you can influence it. So now even the next time, it's a, if you have a real dominant three tacks, usually that's the, <laughs> any def- defense that is well coached will put a dominant guy at three technique because he, he kind of anchors the whole front four. Then, um, then by having uh, – doing a little influence block, then uh, – then you can even you can slow that so that defensive tackle down not just on, on power but on pass set as well because uh, takes off and reads pass and also it's like oh yeah last time I did this <laughs> look by the time he looks inside you have a chance to throw the ball type thing so that's, uh, that's we found yeah, that uh, inside trap has been a nice compliment it's not the staple it's not something we run every week or every game but uh, we keep inside trap in our back pocket once we start seeing that teams. Uh, start cheating on us a little bit with the, the three techniques so with their, their eyes outside, if you will. I first learned influence trap from, from Coach Walls. Walls, what, what was uh, – when I got to Broken Arrow, was that something that you've always kind of ran, or was that a, a Dave influence when you guys got over to Broken Arrow? That was a, that was a Dave Alexander. When we saw any even front or, or four two five defense, that was like his favorite scheme run to, to be able to run was influence trap. So, yep, inf- basically influencing both guards and both tackles. We're then going to release to the, the two inside backers. Awesome play. Oh, yeah. And that's uh, form- – I'm a former linebacker myself. And to have a tackle come down on you, yeah, you'll, you'll never – especially an inside linebacker, uh, especially a middle linebacker, you'll never, you'll never see him coming. So, that's a very, <laughs> yeah. very tough block. To, and then, typically, you have offensive tackle, much bigger body and a smaller body. That, uh, but you, you're you're fighting in a phone booth, so it's uh, it's not fun <laughs> when you play linebacker when that uh, that tackle comes down, you don't see him coming. It's it was like, a great uh, a great play. We'd run like out of eleven personnel too, you know, because we'd run a lot of one back power and you know eleven personnel two by two, and you know that that safety would start playing you know pretty heavy on the tight end because you know usually the safety is a little bit better athlete than our tight end and. Our, our tight ends are usually a little bit bigger body to, to be able to base those six techniques. Um, when we ran influence trap, we'd arc him. So it looked like pass. So like, you know, like you said, when you arc release the tight end, it looks like he's going out for a pass. So the safety would stay deep. And then now you're pass setting kind of with the guard. It looks like he's sorting. You, you'd get some massive caverns inside a defense. And like you said, you know, you don't make a living doing it, but you call it two or three times and it gashes them. You know, it's, it's a really cool compliment to your power. And you've seen it, uh, and you. How often have we all seen an inside trap that goes right up? I mean, anchoring back to the Nebraska glory years, but an inside trap, a gap play that goes seventy yards untouched right down the middle of the field. Because especially when you get teams thinking laterally a little bit, and if you throw in the inside traps on kind of orbit motion to to put a hint of a jet sweep in there, then you uh, then you can really. Uh, it's again. It's not make a living, but it's a really, really nice compliment to uh, power blocking. One hundred percent, man. Completely agree. And I think again, you know, it it fits so well with gap too, because again, you're you're down blocking for the most part with the, you know the center's blocking back, and then you're still getting 
a pull by the guard and it's, you know, now just going to be that quick open pull. So really, really marries up well. We've had uh, also, that's another recruiting feature I do for a lot of these fullbacks slash linebackers is I got a series of cutups of uh, inside trap like this where the guard just absolutely blew up a three technique and usually a much bigger guy than set guard because you got to get the coach. I'm not big enough to play a line like, well, the type of things we do on offense, absolutely you are. And this is why, because we'll give you great angles to block people. If you can't maul people with, with man schemes or zone schemes, then uh, angle them. And that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's been very successful for us. Well, coach, uh, you know, kind of, kind of coming up on an hour, um, but, but the last thing that, that I always like to ask everybody is uh, when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's something they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Dang, I've been looking all week to answering this question. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, three things. First of all, this, this may seem trivial, but how do they look? How do they dress? Are their shirts tucked in? Offensive linemen are proud guys. They do you know, dirty work. No one ever hears about it. They're never in the paper and so on. But if you got a bunch of slobs playing O-line where <laughs> T-shirts are hanging out and you can just tell, they, they, if to play O-line, you got to have a real big pride in what you do. So I, as silly as it may sound, when I look across, when I look and I see the other O-line and they're all, the kids are all dressed and they're all sharp and they're all just, it's hard to describe, but there's a certain pride that emanates through all the, the kids are, uh, are, are dressed for a game, as odd as it may sound. Maybe it's just me, but there is an element of pride. The second one is, uh, is how they start. What's their stance? If you, have, if you don't have a good stance, you don't have a good football play. So are they a good stance? Are they good splits? So when I look at a team and I was like, oh, boy, this guy's got sharp stance. Their splits are all even. Uh, and they're communicating. They're pointing. They're talking to each other before the snap. I'm like, okay, we've got a game here. So, and the last bit is like everybody else. I'm a little linebacker and I like to play football. I like to play offense, offensive football with a defensive mentality. Is like, you gotta be, you're going to be physical and you're going to block to the, uh, until the echo of the whistle. And uh, I'm usually pretty calm on the sideline, but the, one of the few things that makes me uh, blow a gasket is when I see uh, guys loafing in the O-line. So we're always harping on our guys that, you know, be proud of what you do start to play sharp and finish strong that's something that uh, we don't negotiate on that is that's uh that's the that's what we press in our o-line and so when i see other teams that do these three things we're like okay we got ourselves a game here it's going to be this is going to be a matchup here we go coach man i love it I'm glad you, you put a little bit of, of thought into that and, and i think you know you're on to a, a lot of you know kind of starting with that mentality you know, when, when you, you really talk about starting your install with, with a, a scheme like power and counter, you know, that's what offensive linemen love. And I think it lets, you know, the offensive line know that, hey, man, it's, this is, this is going to be on our shoulders and, and we're going to be a, a super important part of the team. I mean, you know, obviously we know that it, it usually starts up front anyway, but when, when, when teams know that their offensive coordinator, their head coach is, is putting an onus on that and we're going to play physical and and smash the ball, even if it is in, in three down Canadian ball, it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. And something uh, just to add uh, before we wrap up here, every night I bring chocolate bars to the field, and it's always, all right, we, get, we did a good job on offense tonight. We did a good job on defense tonight. We did a good job on special teams. Again, the emphasis on special teams in football. And I always got two or three spare ones in my jacket. I always feed the O-line before they get off the field. 
always. <laughs> keep those guys happy, man. They'll keep those quarterbacks upright. Yeah, that's well, exactly right. Keep them well fed. Like a, <laughs> a wise, like a, a, a popular internet uh, blogger always says, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Coach, man, we appreciate you coming on, and and as as always, man, it's it's cool to meet meet guys who who love this this game of, of football that are that are all over the world, and and to be able to hear the stories about, you know, how how they kind of got into the game, and and you know, it's it's such a cool thing to be able to, you know, use technology, be it you know Twitter and and, and Zoom, and being able to do this podcast to kind of connect guys all over the world. That's been a lot of fun for us. So we appreciate you coming on, man. Hey, likewise, thanks for having me, guys. I, I really enjoy your show, and it's been a real honor to be on. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.